Welcome to Ready to Lead, a show that gives you, the leader, tools, tips, and insights you need to grow your team, your company, and yourself. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Ready to Lead. My name is Richard Lindner, I'm your host, and joining me today is uh, a new friend, a new guest. I'm so excited to be here with Mike. Mike is an educator, the host of the Schoolish podcast, a TED talker, and runs the Invention Lab at, or the Reinvention Lab at Teach for America. Um, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, no problem. Glad to be here. I love when we were talking before we we pressed the little red button and he said, yeah, man, I'm ready to talk about kind of whatever. I do a lot of things. And uh, man, that is no joke. I've spent the last week or so just super cyber stalking Mike and kind of going deep into a lot of the stuff. And I'll tell you, um, I've probably watched your TED Talk on recognizing privilege at least 10 times the past few days and just have absolutely become obsessed with the culture of power. And, and I kind of keep going back and, and thinking about how this print could be applied by leaders everywhere to gain a yeah. deeper understanding of, of each member of their team. So I want to yeah. talk about that. But first, I'd love to know a little bit more about your story, like your journey. How did you get here with all of those different things? I mean, there were like five different, very different things we, we, we mentioned in, in just your intro. So, yeah. man, could you take a minute and tell us, like, how the heck did you get here? Yeah, I, I basically, I grew up hating school, like hating school. And I, I had a mom who was a teacher, so I didn't, like, go over very well in my house. The other thing is that I, I was, I grew up in the 90s where, where, there was this idea that everybody had to be well-rounded. So I, I just kind of always had my hands in a lot of stuff. Like at one point I was playing hockey and then I was like, I think I want to skateboard. And I had to figure out how to be okay at both of them. And I, I feel like I just did so many activities and I had so many varied interests. And I, I never had anybody who told me to hyper-specialize until I was much older that by the time I became an adult, I had this insane ability to multitask and to compartmentalize things in ways that I'd noticed that like my own children today don't have. So I just decided to use my varied interests as a strength. And as an adult, I, I went into to teaching. I realized I hated it as much as I hated being a student. And I didn't like the conditions that it created for me as a professional and as a, a provider in my house. So I decided to to do what I had always done, I, I decided to find ways and side hustles around it, which led me to helping to build a school that had really no teachers at all and use technology in place of, of teachers, direct instruction and stuff like that. Led me to start ed tech companies on the side, build a personal brand, start my own podcast. And I just enjoyed sort of being a jack of all trades and and at doing a lot of different things. Like that's just what, yeah, man, I did not think after kind of the Ted talk that I could be more excited to talk to you, but here's what I'll tell you. I, I, I've kind of decided that I'm a generalist, right? Yeah, and, and I yeah. remember the first time actually my business partner was like, Oh yeah, you're a generalist. And I was offended by it mm. because everybody that I saw that was having success had this extreme 
like area of specialty or focus. And, and it's just like, man, the ones yep. that just, I, I have a narrow area of focus, but it's narrow, but deep. Those are the people that are getting they're They're getting ahead. Like those are the people that everyone wants to talk to. Those are the people everyone goes to. Like I'm just generally good at a lot of things. Yep. And it took me a really long time to, to step back and go, no, wait a second. I'm generally good at a lot of, like, I'm good at figuring stuff out. I'm good at being better than average. I'm just a generalist. And instead of looking at that in a negative light, it's now the thing that drives me. And, and then I'm trying to push down to, to not only my, my kids, but the people that I'm charged with leading, because I believe that if you want to be a, if you hope to exceed or, or excel organizationally, especially if you're thinking like, I want to lead this company one day, you have to be a generalist. You have to have a general understanding of how every aspect of the company works. So I believe what you just said, maybe the most important skill and the, and just way to self-identify, right? Like I, I, that I've, I've ever run across. So man, so I'll tell you when, when I was, when I was a freshman in college, I went through the, I, I started listening to, I don't remember what, the name of the show was on, on NPR, but they started uncovering all of these phrases that people misuse every day. And a jack of all trades is one of them. And the, right. the actual, the actual phrase is a jack of all trades is better than, sorry, a jack of all trades is a master of none, but, but better, better than a master of one. Exactly. Um, I, that's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah. And so I, I realized like, Oh, this is a strength. <laughs> like it's a strength that I think, I think I'm with you there. I'm, I'm definitely with you there. Dude, that's awesome. Well, aside from our general awesomeness at uh, everything yeah, that's right. we do, which is what I heard. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Let's, yep. Man, can we talk about the culture of power for a minute? Yeah. Can you kind yeah. of break that down for me? Because that was such a, just a kind of mind blowing Ted talk that mm-hmm. uh, I think everyone needs to hear that. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you watching by the way. The, the, the uh, culture of power is this idea that, that that power structures exist all around us, whether we like it or not. And and I'll I'll talk about navigating it in a second. But I, when I went into teaching, r- right now everybody's in an uproar uproar about it. It, it wasn't called critical race theory at the time, but there were th- those ideas were still in the classroom, and students still carried them. And I, I had a group of students who were mostly black and Latino at the time, and they would say things to me like from a major deficit. They would say like, ah, I can never like. I can never go to college or I can never, I can never be Bill Gates or I can never be Elon Musk. Like there, I can't do that. And I I remember like trying to dig deep to find something to help empower them. Not because like I was very clear with them and I'm very clear with people. Like most people will never be Elon Musk. He's like a cyborg from space or something <laughs> like the probability of, of being LeBron James is really low. But right. the probability of being J.J. Reddick is really high if you do Ooh. the right things. And if you see yourself differently, then, then you, can do, you, can do a lot, you can do a lot more, right? And so what I, what, what I wanted them to have a, a different way to view what they thought were their deficiencies, which were all social. It was their race. It was their socioeconomic status, all those kind of things. And then I found the culture of power, which was coined by Lisa Delpit, which the culture of power is basically the idea that there are a set of values, beliefs, and ways of acting that privilege people. And I re- really like a lot of people get up in arms because they're, they're like, you're talking about white privilege. And I am. 
But I'm not also, I'm not necessarily talking about white privilege. One of the things I learned from building a school with a software billionaire is that, is that hand motions are really important to him. Like he had specific yeah. hand motions and he swore to me that they were power gestures. This is one of them. And, and I like taking your backhand and putting it in your palm is one of the gestures. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. And I started to watch him, like really pay attention to him when he disagreed with us, when when he was upset. And there were things that he would do from the way he swiveled in a chair, from the way he walked into the room. And I was like, like yeah, he happened to be a white billionaire that is emblematic of everything that people would say is white privilege. But his mannerisms, like it went farther than just his like face value identity. His mannerisms he used to build a system of power. And if I wanted to break into that system of power, regardless of how I felt about it, I had to understand the mannerisms and even sometimes use them myself, right? So I think the, the culture of power is just a way of navigating the world where you're a little bit more perceptive, you understand the power stru structures that exist, and then reframing those power structures to find out where you have power. So for example, for me, I speak English. And as long as I live in the United States, that gives me power. That gives me an advantage where I wouldn't have it if I didn't speak English. I can walk with both. I have the use of all of my limbs. I've, I went to college. My mom went to college. There are things about me that, that do not render me powerless and that give me some sort of advantage. Even if it means that like I have to work harder than white males, I still have these things that give me the ability to go out and achieve and to do those things. Man, I, I love that. I really do. And, and we've got a lot of, um, accidental leaders listening right yeah. now. Like people that people that like, awesome. I, maybe I had a side hustle and it turned into yeah. a thing. And then the next thing you know, I needed more people, uh, to help right. me deliver it. Next thing you know, I turn around and there's a a circle of people looking at me going, what do I do next? And you go, uh Oh, mm -hmm. I'm now leading people. Not this isn't a side hustle. And we've yeah. got a group of people that are listening right now that are aspiring. Like I've, I'm in my career. I'm in a company I love. Like I want to. I want to lead people. What does that look like? Uh, and then we've got people listening that have just been leading people for a while, and are just like stuff has changed. How do I lead? Yeah. Thinking about the culture of power and thinking about kind of being that new leader or aspiring to be a leader. How can you? How can you leverage this to to better understand um, your own power, your own strength, but also to better understand so that you can help empower and grow people that, that you're charged with leading that you may not have shared experiences or shared culture with. Like how, yeah. how do we, how do we leverage this from a leadership standpoint? Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there was a, the, the analogy I always give about this is there was a, there was this moment that happened years ago on the UCLA basketball team, the point guard named Jalen hand, who is like, I, I, he's like in the G league. He's not in the NBA yet. He's trying to get there. And he had a teammate that just missed a wide open layup and his teammate was hanging his head and he walks over to him and he actually pushes his chin up. <laughs> like, yep. like it's yep. like the physical chin up. And I think in, 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 in startup world, in school environments, stay at home moms with their kids, there are all of these moments where you can do that metaphorically for humans. And I think as a leader, like recognizing the unique, capabilities, qualities, and skills of the people whom you lead 
it is the metaphorical chin up for them. It's not necessarily that they're always hanging their head, but if you see some, if you see greatness in somebody, understanding the culture of power, your position of power, and your but like that, your words mean more than anybody else in the company or in the organization. When you point out that thing of significance for somebody that you're leading, that may mean the world to them. The first time somebody ever told me, I I had, I worked with a guy who, if you just walked into the room, you would not notice that he's the greatest leader on planet Earth. But what he's really great at is he's really great at understanding that his position gave him power in the room and he could pull out just like the thing that nobody's noticing or nobody's saying to you that you're great at. So one of the things he did with me, he, he said to me one day, he's like, Mike, probably the worst administrative person I've ever seen in my life. And he's like, I'm telling you that because you know that about yourself. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, but you know what? There's nobody better than Mike at creating ideas that haven't existed before. And that gave me a new identity. Like I I had never said that about myself. I had not had people say like, you know, you're really great at this. And I produced for that organization some of the greatest ideas that I argue I'm biased, but I argue that some of the greatest (laughs) ideas that have ever come out of that organization, but they're, they're now foundational in the way that it operates. And it was from that conversation where I saw myself differently. So I think as a leader, leveraging the culture of power is you help your people see themselves differently. You help your people see themselves as powerful. You give them that virtual or that that metaphorical chin up moment. Man, that's big. So much of what you said right there is just amazing. And going back to if, if you're a leader and you're listening or you're an aspiring leader, something Mike said kind of in passing, like the greatest, you'd never know this person in the back of the room was the greatest leader. You don't need to, you don't need to flex your power for other people to know you have it, right? right. In fact, like true leadership is, is speaking last. If at mm-hmm. all, true leadership is is pulling greatness out of people and keeping people online and track and growing them. And and it sounds like that's exactly what that person did. And it, I think we all kind of get stuck a little bit in imposter syndrome and maybe letting our own brokenness out. If we don't, if if we're struggling with do I do I do I deserve to be here? Should I be here? Do I have this role? Then we project that and almost try to prove to someone that's never questioning whether or not you right. earned the seat that you're in. So. I think that was just a side thing that, that your story made me think of, but man, that, that chin up, sometimes it's a chin up. Sometimes it's a, I don't know if you know this, but you're great at this. Right. And boom. You had a new, a way to self-identify. You had a, an energy about you. What is that? Like, how do we as leaders find that in people and, and bring out their power, like recognize mm-hmm. the power that you have, but recognize power that other people may not realize that they have yeah. and say like, you are like your Mutant superpower, spiritual gift, whatever it is you want to call it, is this. And yep. you may not realize that, but you kind of suck at doing this. Maybe you shouldn't do that anymore. You are yeah. great at this. Like you should, you should double down on this. That is, that is amazing leadership. And and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll share you a story with you that just happened recently uh, here. We had a we had a key employee leave, and they'd been here forever. Got a new opportunity, and mm-hmm. we were very excited. Just really excited for her, not that she was leaving, but that she right. had this opportunity. We'd invested in her growth. She'd invested in her growth, and her growth had outpaced the company's need for her to move on to the next role. So wow. the 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 thing, the only thing we could we could ask is is that we we have time to to part the right ways, and we did. 
And on her last day, she came into the office and she stopped by and, and just hit me with an amazing gift and, and a realization that, that I don't think I'd had. And she's kind of talking to me and my business partner. And she said, you see things that no one else sees. And on one point, that's really cool. And on the other, it can make people feel less. Mm, But when you acknowledge someone, people are beside themselves. When you like give someone an aha. And at first I was like, that's a really cool compliment. And then it just, boy, that night I sat up and was like, my words have more power and I use them. I'm a critical thinker. I, I see the opportunity missed or the blind spots that maybe others just don't like, that's what I'm uniquely good at. If I don't say something, then my assumption is that other people think that they know, I mean, great job. Like Mike, you killed it on that. Here's an area we need to move to next because you got everything else. And my heart and my stomach sunk that night. And I was like, God, I don't give that acknowledgement. So everything you just shared about that story is a person who does. And, right. and owning that power, like I think mine is the, with your power, you have a weakness. So how do you offset once you know your power, like it can yeah. be the thing that makes you great can be the, the thing that ultimately leads to your des- demise. So yeah. how do you, how do you measure those? Right. I, I'm, I mean, I recently had a similar, a similar moment where I had someone on my team, someone, someone in leadership as well say like, like, Hey, do you understand like what happens when you show up at a meeting? And it was like, no, <laughs> I was like, I just come. And I don't, I often don't think of myself as a senior leader in our organization, even though I am. And I've had to like, I, I've had these moments where people are like, well, I just want to make sure that I'm saying this to you correctly. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I've, I've always worked in like startup world, flat environment. And so it's weird that someone would say that to me at this point. But I, I had a, a meeting with somebody that I work with and they told me they're like, you have the ability they said to me, you basically control the energy of every meeting that we have. They're like, you have the ability to suck the air out of the room or you have the ability to make the meeting go really well just on what you say. And I was like, I didn't realize it. It's just like you did. I, I didn't realize that my words, people were paying attention to me in that way. And and ever since then, it is actually, like you said, that it's it was a weakness that I have now turned into this really positive power because I recognize it now. So it's, it's, that's, that's, it's great input, man. Can we, can we unpack that for just a second? Yeah, let's do it. So, so what do you like in knowing that I'm sure there are times you unknowingly or unintentionally like just deflated the room, sucked the energy out with your reaction. Once you, and I think about it like you're, you were unconsciously incompetent. Then you became consciously incompetent. And at some point it pivots and you become competent. So after the realization, after someone pointed that out, like what did that look like for you in intentional preparation for, for meetings? Like as leaders, I don't know that we do that enough. So I, I, I really want to know, like, what is your process for going? I'm not great at this or I have to be really intentional about my energy. How do you prep for that before going into these meetings? Once you're aware that, that that's kind of the effect you have. Yeah. So, so the thing about me is that in, in, in every room that I walk into, I am often the, the, the dissenter. I'm the disruptor in the room. And so if everyone starts or like it, it, it could be something as small as somebody's like, I'm going to share this quote and I will stop the meeting and be like, we don't believe that, do we? And, and you can just see people just like, like deflate. 
And so I've, I've had to learn to pick my spots. Like, and what I literally before meetings, I, I, I have to tell myself, like, this is for everyone. Like, this is not just for me. Like, I've got to make sure that everybody can get through this meeting just like, just like I need to get through this meeting. But also, like, reminding myself of what I know is to, to look for the gifts of the team around me and, and actually call those out in the meeting because it makes my dissent much, it, it makes it better received. Like, we recently had a meeting where, where somebody on my team was like, I don't know if I'm overthinking things. And, and I was like, no, like, you're not overthinking things. Your instinct is great. Like, the work that you're putting in is the right work. Like, keep going. So I built up, like, some emotional cachet to be able to hard stop a meeting later on. But I recognize yeah. that that process is necessary. It's the relational equity, right? Yeah. You, I, I look at it as, are you, are you making deposits? into yeah. that account that really, or well, are you making withdrawals? And if you're constantly making withdrawals, you're at a net negative. Yeah. And, I mean, you hear the, like people don't leave companies, people leave leaders, people leave leaders when they're, when that equity is at a net negative, when that relational yeah. equity, when there's just nothing left. And, and that's the way I try to think about it. But man, that's, that's so, that's so powerful for, for other you know leaders to hear is, is when you're in a room, especially when you are charged, like if you're the one responsible for making the decision, if you're accountable to the end result, yeah. it's a weird seat to hold because you feel like I can't, I, I have to lead these people to what I know the answer already is. Yeah. But sometimes that path can't be like, hey, let me just stop you right there. I know you're going to try to figure it out for the next hour. Good news, everyone. I got it. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, in, in my not so distant past, to me, that was like, you're welcome. Like, good news. We don't have to worry about this anymore. Not like, I did it. I'm here. But like, we got it. Let's move on. It was, right. it was very like, we don't have to focus. I did not realize that that was absolutely just snuffing out the room. Yep. So trying to pivot that and say, where are my opportunities to call on people? Where are my opportunities to be like, no, man, that was, I need to pull that out of you so that when it gets to a point where we are just off track, like you said, if you have to, you have to pull the e-brake, you have to put a hard stop, you have to completely pivot. That's not just you being you. Right. Right. It's not right. just, oh yeah, that's, that's Mike. He's always doing that. That's Richard. He's always doing that. So I love that. And the intentional, like, so Chris Hogan, who's, who's an amazing speaker, Ramsey personality. I remember, I remember Chris said a couple of things that just blew my mind. One of the things he said, I try to catch people doing things right. Right. Yeah. And when you find those things that people do, like that's when I acknowledge, that's when I, I point out. And, and I think that's the, it can be as small as that when, yeah. when you're trying to build that relational equity. So you obviously have a fair amount of personality, right? You're, I mean, yeah. I'm watching your, your, like you're, you're a charismatic person. You're, you're, you're obviously very intelligent and you've done so much stuff, right? You are that generalist. You have a lot of experience to pull from. I'm guessing a lot of people listening to this are going like, yeah, of course that guy rises here. <laughs> of course that guy can lead people. One of the questions I love asking is, what do you believe some of the, the, the critical characteristics of you know, a, a good leader are? Oh, yeah. I think one of them, the most important one that I've ever learned is taking blame. And it helps me in my, in my house, like in my marriage. And as a leader, I mean, it's actually, it's literally, it's the same guy that I mentioned earlier. 
and I'll mention his name. His name's Graham Fry. You can't find him. He's like a recluse. He, like the dude wants no recognition at all, but has has been responsible for literally saving some of the most important schools on the in the country. I would I would argue very well. And one day he said to me, he was like, "Hey, just so you know, like when you lead, everything is your fault." And it was because I had made a mistake, and he was like, "Okay, well, I'm gonna go." I'm going to go deal with this. And I was like, no, like I can, I can send the email. He's like, yeah, you could. But at the end of the day, you, you dropping the ball was on me. And I, I really couldn't understand why he insisted on doing that. I thought it was just like, I was like, I guess this is what leaders are supposed to do. But the way he explained it to me later, it was just like, when, when you lead an organization or a team or anything, you actually, it's a statement. It's you you taking responsibility for the well-being and progress of that project and that team itself. And so when somebody on your team drops the ball, like, yeah, they actually did drop the ball. But the person who has to deal with it and clean up the mess and put out the fire is always going to be the leader. Because if you make other people put out their own fires, eventually they will burn themselves and they will leave. Mm. And so I was like, oh, okay. So like, I mean, even if it's, like, even if I really do feel like I had nothing to do with this, as a gesture for the team, as a gesture in my home, I have to take responsibility for those things because it is my job to lead. It's my job to lead them to success. So if I'm, if I'm, if my team is failing on some level, I've got to look for the place where I'm not leading them towards success because it's certainly not all on them. May not all be on me, but hey, in practice, that's the way I make it. <laughs> I love Every failure is a failure of leadership. Yep. Right. And and yep. where where I try to try to help guide our our up and coming leaders and and even our like early career leaders and and make sure that everyone understands like as a leader, you get all the blame and none of the credit. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's it. that's it. That's one. And then and then two is we we praise in public, and we reprimand in private. Yeah. And reprimands the wrong word, but like when we are when we are having these adjustments and and growth conversations, like that doesn't happen in public. So you you, you praise in public, and and you handle the the growth conversations privately. But it's your fault. I think it's big for leaders to take away, and I think you can look at it in one of two ways. It's it's humbling, but it's also yeah. you understand your role in in caring for and growing the people you're charged with leading. Right. If you really get that, I think that's. Man, that is that is some powerful stuff. So, okay, that was one. Any any others that you think like major characteristics that that leaders share or have? Yeah, I th- I, I think at the at the risk of not sounding like Gary Vaynerchuk, I'm not going to say empathy, but but I do think that is important. I think I I really do think it's the ability to listen, though. Like uh, the best leaders that I've ever been in in contact with, they listen like deeply, and. Almost I, the the phrase I always use is they almost listen past what you're saying, like they 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 hear what you're saying, but they they're at the same time they're getting underneath what you're saying and asking the right question. So I think like in those coaching conversations, the best ones I've ever had are like not ones where they're like, "Dude, you screwed up." They're like, "Hey, like this didn't go well. What happened?" Oh well, hmm. then they start asking a string of the right questions. And I feel like I'm arriving to this conclusion, but they have literally led me They're to just the screen. You there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think it's the ability to li- listen deeply, the ability to ask the right questions. And and then I'd also like there's there are some things, not all. There are some things 
where I think the leader actually has to be the it's 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 like we talked about with this journalist thing. You have to know every every you have to be an expert on whatever it is that you're doing. And you can never feel threatened by anyone in the room. And what I mean by that is not like I don't mean don't hire talented people. Don't I like I mean that you should work, you should be working harder. You should be, like you should be spending more time there. You should you should be the last to leave. And some of them are gestures, but some of them are really just the required work that it takes to be the guy in charge. Like if I'm the if I'm the head coach of a football team and one of my assistant coaches knows more about football than me, then that guy might need to we might need to switch positions. Ooh, and so wow. I, I like if I, I right now I'm I, I'm leading this massive social media effort for one of the largest nonprofits in, in the country, which is Teach for America. It's, it's our reinvention lab. And I can I don't feel threatened by anybody on my team with the ability to create content and produce content on social media. And it is only because of that that I feel the confidence to be able to literally like actually guide and lead the team in that effort. And what that does for me as a leader is it makes me continue to work hard in that area and develop myself. That was big, man. I mean, what you just shared is how you, how you keep from, from responding to your own issues, to your own yeah. self-worth, to your own, like the imposter syndrome, yeah. right? If you say, I'm confident enough that I can make these decisions, but I can also yield because I'm yeah. confident enough. And I agree, man, you gotta, you gotta work. Like that's the thing. I think the, what I've heard you say in, in both that kind of last story and analogy and, and the couple of times you've talked about, and I don't remember his name, I apologize, the billionaire that you were able to work with oh, yeah. is that the best way to teach leadership is to just model it and mm -hmm. people just imitate you with a, and thinking it's the way. Yeah. Obviously you coach through it, but the best way to, to, to become a good leader is probably to be led by a good leader. The best yeah. way to create good leaders in your company is to be a really to good lead. leader. Yeah. Right. So all the things that you're talking about, like when you do that, you don't necessarily have to worry about the up and coming batch of those next leaders in your company. Mm -hmm. If they only mimic you, which they're going to do. Yeah. No question whether you're a good leader or not. Right. So if you're thinking of the next batch of leaders in your company, boy, look in the mirror because mm -hmm. they're going to embody the best of you and the worst of you. Yeah. And like you're a parent. And I, I know for me, I get the most frustrated and upset with my children Same. when they <laughs> mirror the things I hate about myself. Yeah. Same. Right. Yep. Exactly that the same is true when you're talking about the people you lead because yeah. you're not actually mad at them. You're mad mm -hmm. at you so much. of and, and, and back to the imposter syndrome thing, man, so much of what you just said yeah. is how we deal with this. Mm -hmm. We lead with confidence. We work hard, but we have the humility and, and, and we, we seek to understand other people's area of, of strength and power and bring that out. Like that's, yeah. that is big. So, would you consider this 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 guy that you've worked with a mentor in your life? Yeah, I think so. I I, I would think so. I mean, like so much so to where like when I left that that place and I, I assumed a leadership role elsewhere, I find like it's funny you talked about imitation because I find myself to this day using the same phrases. And I texted him the other day and I was like, 
why did you say this so much? Now I can't stop saying it. But like, they're, they're, I also think one of the other characteristics of great leaders is that they know their team. And mm. uh, this guy, Graham, he knew me so well that he could walk by and he could see me spinning and like overcomplicating things. And he would just turn and be like, hey, do simple better. And whenever we start to overcomplicate things at my job, I say, all right, do simple better. And I'm like, why? Well, it's fine. It works. <laughs> like, but like I'm, I'm replicating those same phrases. So, yeah, I, w- I would consider him a mentor, even if he didn't know it, even if we never established that official relationship. But I mean, more than anybody at, at, at that, that school, I spent the most time asking him the questions that nobody would ask him. You know, like Mm. he's a mysterious, like literally, if you try to Google Graham Fry right now, you won't find anything. You can't find the guy. And so people and our other people that we worked with, they're like, where'd this guy come from? Who's this guy? What? Like, and I literally just one day I walked into his office and I was like, well, he didn't have an office. I walked into his conference room that he was working in and I was like, Hey, who are you? Where'd you come from? (laughs) How'd you get here? What is it? And he was like, Oh, and he just told me everything. (laughs) He told me, he was like, yeah, my dad coached the Browns. Grew up in Cleveland, saved a school when I was 25 by accident, and made a career out of it. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. Yeah. And then in that moment, he gave me, like, that was, you, if you, when you, when I think about mentoring relationships, that moment at that conference table was was another moment of a leader speaking into me about the power that I have, where he, where he said, look, like, he was like, you, you, you were bright. You're not going to be here forever. There are several careers that you can go make on your own. And like literally handed me a business model. And it was like, it was like, here's the thing that I, I know that you're great at. And here's the place that you can be beyond this, these walls. And he's like, one day you should go do that. And on the day I left, he looked at me and said, you're the best hire I've ever made in my career. And like, like, yeah, so he's definitely a mentor for me, for sure. And do you find yourself mirroring and, and modeling that same level of mentorship when you go into a company and leading? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Like, I, as a matter of fact, I, like, I realized like what we were talking about earlier about words being significant, like the words of a leader being heavy. I, even if I, at home with my children, I try to have these moments where like my, my wife explains to me, the greatest teacher on leadership is my wife for me. She explains to me, but she was explaining to me, she was like, I don't think you understand like how much your words mean to our children. And she was saying this like in a very positive way. Like, like when you say like little silly things, like little stupid things, like, and, and the, I'm going to tell you exactly why I'm saying that. Like, I I'm from Houston. I live in Dallas, Texas, and I hate the Cowboys. <laughs> I, okay. I don't like the Cowboys. I also don't like the White Sox. So I'm very glad that the Astros just pounded their face in the other day. <laughs> and my children have adopted this hatred for like, when they see, now we live in Dallas, Texas. When they see the star, they go, oh my, disgusting. I hate this. This is the worst thing. And my daughter will walk up to people and say, you should take that jersey off because that team's terrible. And they'll, they'll, they'll well, yeah. I mean. Love it. Well, and I, I love it. And my wife was explaining to me, she was like, they do that because they're following you. Like, like mm-hmm. you, you brought them. You that you. I mentored my children into hating the Cowboys and hating the Astros, and so yeah. Like I use that. That is now become my style of leadership. Like when I when I want to pull something out of somebody I work with, it's normally a one on one conversation. We're we're all virtual, so it's virtual, and mm-hmm. it's me trying to have those moments and sharing like 
from my story and from my experience, like how I got there. So yeah, absolutely. Dude, that's great. I heard a, I heard a couple of things there to, to just pull out. And, and one of the big ones was curiosity. I heard you say being curious and, and, and asking questions, powerful leadership, right? Yeah. Guiding someone to, to what you may already know through questions. Mm-hmm. But I also heard you say in, in, in your career path, in, in your own quest for whether it was career ascension or, or personal knowledge or deepening your, your network, asking questions as just an individual contributor, as just a fellow human is, is huge. And that reminds me of kind of my, my, my very first mentor told me, he said, if you ever run across someone who's old, rich, and happy, the only time you should speak is when you're asking a question. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. And, and that stuck with me. Because he said, look, there are plenty of old uh, people that are happy. There are plenty of old people that are rich. There's not a ton of people that are old, rich, and happy. Right. So when you find those people, ask questions and listen deeply. Mm-hmm. And that's I think that's, yeah. that's amazing advice. Yeah. It's the best advice I think you can give. Like, as a matter of fact, all of the successful people that I know that are around my age do the exact same thing. <laughs> like, it's, I mean, it's just ask great questions. Yeah. To, to specifically old, rich people, old, rich, happy people. Like I, yeah. When I lived in Austin, Texas, it's funny because there, there are a lot of rich people. There are a lot of old, rich people mm-hmm. and there, there are quite frankly, not a lot of old, rich, happy people. Oh, and, yeah. and as soon as I met wrong. one. Yeah. As soon as I met one that was comfortable enough in it, like I'm, I'm, I met a billionaire who I, I literally bumped into on the sidewalk and he started asking me like, Hey, what do you do? Like, like, and I was like, Oh, we're at the school over here. We don't have any teachers. So he starts asking me about the school and I was like, well, what do you do? He's like, oh, I run this giant hedge fund. <laughs> like he tells me, <laughs> I was like, whoa. And he's wearing a Target dry fit shirt, like and jeans, and 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 he said. I asked him, I was like, so how do I mean, like, how do you, how, how do you stay successful? And he said, well, I don't buy dumb stuff. He's like this outfit. He's like, it's, it's basically a uniform. I, I have, he's like, I have 10 of these same shirts, same color. He's like, because they work. And, and even though like, I'm sure he was half joking and half serious to me, it was this, to me as a kid who would like, I, nobody had ever taught me anything about financial literacy or financial peace or any of that it was digestible and it was like it was an important lesson that he gave me which was like don't buy dumb crap <laughs> like just don't. yeah and like that's how he stays rich and he and he he uses money as a tool and not not as something that you, that you burn through like it's it's to be used and so it's, it's I, I so agree with that old rich happy Man. yes <laughs> old rich happy yeah. i mean hopefully you and i are are there in our later years and, yes. and hopefully there's plenty of people asking us lots of questions. That's, that's right. That's my hope uh, for you. That's my hope for me. Well, man, uh, Mike, there are so many gems here. Uh, and first of all, I just want to thank you for all the, the knowledge you dropped, all the, all the you. stories you shared, and just your, your experiences that you brought here. But if our audience, our, our audience of leaders were to leave with one or two kind of key takeaways, what would those be? What would your key takeaways are like? Yeah. Anything yeah. you'd want to share. Yeah. I think, I, th- I really think that leadership, leadership in any industry is a people game. It's a people business. Like 
it's said a lot of times, and I, and I am going to say it again because my, my good friend who I work with, she always says, you can learn something from everybody. And if there's anything you learn from Donald Trump, it's just say the same thing over and over again until people believe it. And I was like, all right. And so that's, but that's one of the things. I mean, marketing, marketing, all that, all that strategy. But I really do believe like every business is the people, especially when you're leading, like you, you do it for human beings, for people. And you, you, all the other things that, that fit, you move at the speed of trust, all the other things like that's it's, it's the people business like you're in it for human beings. And as technology gets better and develops more and more and does more and more crazy things, the ability to be human is going to be more important than ever. And so I, I think you're like the thing I want to leave you with is that you're in the people business. And that's that's that. Man, that's it. That was that's such a, a solid like takeaway mic drop moment. Last question. If our listeners want to find you, if our listeners want to connect with you after this, like, yeah. where do they go? Where are you at? Where where can they find out more? I have a website that is yatesmike.com, but the best place is really LinkedIn. Like, if you, I'm the most, I take pride in the, being the most popular Mike Yates on LinkedIn. I had to fight for that <laughs> position. Literally a bunch of old white guys is me fighting with them, but no, no, I, LinkedIn is the place where I spend the most time on social media and where I have the most engagement with people so that if you just search Mike Yates, I, you will find me there. Great. We'll make sure that there's a, a link over to your uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well. So, man, Michael, it was so good talking to you today. Yeah, Fellow you. generalist, just so much cool stuff. I'll tell you the one thing I, we didn't get into that I wanted to talk about was the previous name of your podcast, but that's another <laughs> another topic for another day. Yeah. The, the school sucks. Like I shared a disdain for the traditional education system for probably all the same reasons, and, and, and that's just fun. But man, I have honestly enjoyed this conversation. I just want to thank you. Thank you for being here. And for those of you listening, stay tuned for, for more episodes like this, more actionable advice, more thought leaders like on the Ready to Lead podcast. So thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Ready to Lead show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to stay updated on the release of new episodes, be sure to hit that follow button. And Jeff and Richard, they want to hear from you. If there's an episode topic you'd like to hear them dive into, or something about today's episode that was a big breakthrough, or maybe even something you disagree with, they want to know, send them an email at feedback at readytolead.com. Thanks again for tuning into this episode. We'll see you on the next one.